If you are a guest of ours, we want to especially welcome you uh, to worship here with us at Bay Area. Uh, we began a new sermon series last week, you know, first of the year, new sermon series, uh, that I'm calling Meant for More. But really, it's about spiritual growth, transformation, and we're going to take a look the next couple of weeks about um, what exactly that looks like, what spiritual growth looks like. More importantly, how we can pursue spiritual growth. Most importantly, what our lives would actually look like if we really did surrender our will and our agenda completely to God. Because let's face it, we all have an idea of how our lives are going to go, right? We have a plan for our lives. We, we, we kind of have dreams and, and things, and we see our lives playing out in a certain way. And you need to know something. God has a plan for your life too. In fact, God has dreams for your life as well. God envisions the way that your life is going to play out. I heard a story about a fellow who went and had a Thanksgiving dinner at a friend's house, and the friend was a surgeon. And so the fellow said, do you mind if I carve the turkey? And the surgeon said, well, be my guest. And the guy very expertly carved the turkey, laid it out, you know, just perfect presentation. He looked at the surgeon and said, I'd make a pretty good surgeon, wouldn't I? The surgeon said, anybody can take it apart. Let's see you put it back together. <laughs> now you think about our lives. Isn't that kind of true with our life? How quickly it all falls apart. It's pretty easy for it to come undone, right? It's pretty easy to kind of for the track, the train to get off the, the rails. The hard part's getting it back together. The hard part's getting it back where we want it to be. You know, it's so easy for our lives to get sidetracked. It's so easy for our plans that we have for ourselves to get a little bit sidetracked. Are you with me on that? Has anybody ever experienced that? Anybody look back in your life, you know, past 5, 10, 15 years, and say, hmm, my life didn't exactly go as I had planned. Things didn't exactly work out in every instance like I was just sure they would. Is it, has anybody else ever experienced that? No. No, maybe you're thinking, my, my plan was to be married by now. Or my plan was to you know, have children by now. Or my plan was to be on this financial track. You know, my plan was to have some promotions at work. My plan was to retire when I hit 60. Or maybe you're thinking, I, I never planned on going bankrupt. I never planned on losing my job. I never planned on being a single parent. I never planned on getting sick. You know, my life hasn't exactly gone as I've planned for it to go. Now, we know that God has plans for our lives. I mentioned that already. And we know that because we all know Jeremiah 29.11, right? You probably don't know any other verse in Jeremiah but you know Jeremiah 29, 11, because back when you graduated from high school, you got a dozen cards, all with Jeremiah 29, 11 on them. If you haven't graduated from high school yet, look forward to it. You're going to get cards and letters. People are going to quote to you Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm trying. Thank you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in the future. It's one of the great declarations of Scripture. Even more impressive and more sobering when you understand really what's going on with the Israelites when God makes that promise. But that's 
That's a sermon for another day. But notice God says, I know the plans I have for you. He didn't say, I know the plans you have for you, although he does. God says, I know the plans I have for you. In the Bible, is this not going to work tricks? There we go. In the Bible, it seems that God is... What is going on? It was there. In the Bible, it seems God is always interrupting someone's plans. Thank you. Think about how many times God interrupts someone's plans. We didn't plan this, by the way, did we? You're interrupting my plan. Think about how many times God interrupts people's plans. Noah didn't plan on building a big boat and putting animals in it. Joseph didn't plan on being sold into slavery. Abraham didn't plan on being the father of a nation when he was 90 years old. Esther didn't plan on you know, rescuing her people from genocide. Moses didn't plan on leading the Israelites out of Egypt. Mary didn't plan on getting pregnant. God is constantly interrupting people's plans. In fact, there is no story in the Bible that begins with, and then one day some human being had this great plan. No, it's not about our plans. It really is about God's plans for us. Let me remind you of a verse that we looked at last week. <laughs> we can do this all day. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. We're God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things. He planned for us long ago. I talked last week about the fact that we're not our own masterpiece. We're God's masterpiece. And what that means is our life is really God's plan. And our life is, is really God's project. It's not our project. And because of that, only God knows how our life really is intended to look. I want to redirect you back to another passage that we sort of brushed up against last week, but I want to spend a little more time in it this week. In fact, it's pretty much the anchor text for today. It's found in John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, Jesus is going to make a pretty staggering claim about transformation, about his ability to transform human lives. I mentioned when we talk about spiritual growth, we're really talking about transformation. And in John chapter 7, Jesus is all about transformation. And I need to share just a little bit of context and, dare I say, a little bit of history about what's going on here in John chapter 7. But I don't want you to check out because it's, Really interesting and, and really adds to what Jesus is about to say. In John chapter 7, there's a festival going on. Uh, there were three major festivals for the Israelites in the first century. Uh, in John chapter 7, they're celebrating the, the festival of tabernacles. And it was a little bit like our Thanksgiving. It was a time when they would thank God for their daily provisions. Thank God for supplying them and making sure that they have everything they, they need for life. And a highlight at the feast was the last day of the feast, uh, the priest would take a golden pitcher and the priest would go to the pool of Siloam and dip water out of the pool of Siloam and then he would lead a processional all the way to the temple, pretty much like a parade. It was a very festive time. There's a lot of cheering, there's a lot of joy going on as everyone followed the priest towards the temple. In fact, there was a saying that went like this, he who does not know the joy of tabernacles does not know joy. I mean, this was a happy time. And the priest would lead the people back to the temple where he would do a very extravagant thing. 
he would take this golden pitcher filled with water and he would pour it on the ground. Remember, these were desert people. These were people who, they didn't waste water. And it was very symbolic what the priest would do. And it was his way of saying, their way of saying, we trust God to provide for our needs. We're going to take this valuable commodity, water, and we're going to pour it out because God's going to provide for our needs. And they would very joyfully look forward to a Messiah. Okay. It's on that day, the last day of the feast. It might very well have been in that moment. Because remember, Jesus was an expert at teaching in the moment when Jesus said in a loud voice to the people who were gathered there, Thank you. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Okay, stop right there for just a minute. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. That's what Jesus says in a loud voice. Who's he talking to? Who's he calling? Who is he inviting? If anyone is thirsty, he's inviting the thirsty people, right? He's calling the thirsty people. He's not calling the people who are spiritual giants. He's not calling the people who are very secure and you know feel pretty good about where they stand as far as their, their goodness and their godness. Just the opposite, really. To be thirsty means that you're, you're not contented. Uh, you're not happy about where you are right now. There's something missing in your life. Now, to be thirsty means that you've got some kind of unsatisfied longing. So Jesus is saying, all you dissatisfied people, all you malcontents, all you whiners, <laughs> any whiners in here today? Come to me. Come to me. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. All of you people who have decided life is not going like I thought it would go. This is not what I signed up for. And then we start to see the supernatural nature of what Jesus is promising. Let anyone who's thirsty come to me. And then it's really interesting what Jesus says next. Because what he says next is not what we might expect him to say next. He doesn't say, come to me and you'll be filled. Come to me and you'll be satisfied. Come to me and you won't be thirsty anymore. That's not what he says. Here's what he says. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. All you thirsty people, all you people with unsatisfied desires, come to me, believe in me. Streams of living water will flow from within. The old King James Version says, And out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. From your very core, from deep within you, these rivers of living water. Not only are you going to be satisfied, you're going to be a source of life for others as well. I mean, Jesus is talking about that place deep within us. That place where butterflies fly when you start to fall in love. That place that's hollow and empty when you're homesick. From, from the very core of your being, out of that core is going to flow this energy and hope and joy and strength. And you're not going to have to manufacture it. And you're not going to have to fake it. And you're not going to have to hype it. Just believe in me. And Jesus is really going to say this over and over again. 
You know, a couple chapters later in chapter 10 of John, he's going to say the same thing, different metaphor, same focus. He's using a metaphor of sheep and shepherds. He talks about him being the shepherd and his followers being sheep. And then he says in verse 10 of chapter 10, the thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy, but I've come that they might have life. They might have life, you know, a great word for salvation and have it to the full. But Jesus is actually promising more. He's actually in that passage promising kind of a super salvation. Because he's promising more than just life. He's promising super life, an abundant life, the best life, a full life, with blessings piling up faster than, than we know what to do with them. Last week I asked you a question. And I told you that this question is going to keep resurfacing as we go through this series. Uh, and the question was, what if Jesus really didn't know what he was talking about? What if Jesus really was right? What if he really meant it when he said that rivers of living water would be available and that they could flow out of your being, your core? What kind of life was really possible for you? Is it possible to have the kind of life that Jesus is talking about? And it doesn't come from working harder or, or worrying more or volunteering for more programs. Although I'm a big proponent of people volunteering for more programs. There's a passage in the book of 2 Corinthians that kind of speaks to this idea of transformation, spiritual growth, of being meant for more. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit... And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, what's the next word? Freedom. You know, a lot of people think, the reason I'm really not buying into this whole Jesus thing is, I know if I become a Christian, my life is going to get so confined. And my life is going to be so constricted. And, and my life is going to, you know, the, all these things I'm not going to be able to do. It's not what Paul says. Paul says, we're talking about freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Rivers of living water. I'm free. And we, with unveiled faces, no mask, no hiding anymore, all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes not from me, not from you, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We talked last week about the fact that there's a gap and there's a gap between the person that I know I am. You know, when I put my head on the pillow at night, I know who I am. And where the person that God wants me to be. And I know there's a gap there. And intellectually, I know that the reason for that gap is sin. Sin has caused the gap. And I, I'll ask the question again, and it's a pretty simple question. It's a yes or no question. You've got a 50-50 chance of getting it right. Is it possible for me to bridge that gap all by myself? Yes or no? No. It is not possible for me to bridge that gap all by myself. I can't take care of that sin problem on my own. Who is the only person that can take care of that sin problem? God. God in Jesus. In Jesus, you're right. And what, you know, what does God do for us? He sent Jesus. 
God gives us Jesus. He gives us grace. The only way to get to where I am, from where I am to where I really want to be, is by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus. But here's what happens. You know, I become a Christian. I accept that grace. But then I look at my life and it's like, okay, there's still a gap. There's still a gap between where I know I am and where I know God wants me to be. And I know the, the reason for the gap is still sin. So now I'm a Christian. Now can I bridge that gap all by myself? Still? No. I still can't. There's still a gap. Just as I was saved by grace, just as you were saved by grace, you're also invited to live by grace and transformation. We're called to, to grow spiritually. And I think transformation and spiritual growth only happens through grace. It's only by the grace of God that I continue to grow. And I continue to become more and more like His Son. And everything God does, He does through grace. And a lot of people see grace as just a synonym for forgiveness. And it certainly has a lot to do with forgiveness, but it's so much more than forgiveness. God was a gracious God long before anybody sinned. You know, creation itself is an act of grace. But sometimes we think that, that uh, you know, before we were Christians we needed grace, but now somehow that we're Christians we've got to figure it out all on our own. But nowhere in Scripture do you get that idea. Listen, grace is the rocket fuel that we Christians run on. It just is. We live on grace lane. I know Gary used to always say that he lived on Repentance Road, and I appreciate that, and I agree with him, but, but we live on Grace Lane as well. Grace is the generosity of God. When I become a Christian, I am empowered by grace and, and by the power of God to do things that I never would be able to do on my own. And the picture that Jesus uses for this life in the Spirit is the picture of a river. Rivers of living water. Let's look at it again. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant the Spirit. Jesus is using this analogy of, of water, of rivers. Right before I got up here, Tyrone led, uh, as the deer, the pants for the water. Um, I asked him to lead that. Now, if you noticed, he led some other songs that we weren't real familiar with or as familiar with. And, and, and I, I personally, I like that because I pay close attention to those songs. Ones I don't know quite as well. And I'm amazed at just how powerful some of those words are. But songs like As the Deer, I've sung it so many times, I don't even think about it anymore. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Do you really think about those lyrics? You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. It actually comes from Psalm 42. In Psalm 42, the, the writer is painting this picture, a, a really powerful picture uh, of an animal. But sometimes we think this is the picture that actually is getting painted. Oh, it's Bambi. As the beautiful little deer hops through the forest, comes upon a babbling brook of sparkling clear water. Oh, I think I'll stop and drink. This is wonderful. That's really not the image that's being painted in Psalm 42. 
In Psalm 42, the image is much more like this, and it's a little bit disturbing. It's an animal that is desperate for water. It's an animal that knows he will die if he doesn't find water and find it quickly. This is a, this is a, a, a psalm of total desperation. And what the psalmist is simply saying is, we were made to run on God. We were made for that. Our soul longs for God. Deep within us, we long for God. You were made to run on God. Everything else is smoke and mirrors. And our world is filled with smoke and mirrors. More money. More success. More applause. More beauty. But if we aren't longing for God, if we are cut off from the Spirit, there's going to be this continual unfulfilled desire. And maybe we can't quite put our finger on it. Maybe we can't quite explain what's going on. But there's going to be a hole in our soul. There's going to be something missing. And we're going to be thirsty. And we're going to be hungry. There's going to be an emotional emptiness. And I think that's where spiritual growth has to begin. It's not some New Year's resolution where I say, I'm going to get up earlier and I'm going to stay up later and I'm going to work harder. I'm going to get my, my spirit in shape, you know, the way I get my body in shape. Again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, big, I'm a big fan and a big proponent of spiritual disciplines. But that's not what I'm talking about here. Spiritual growth starts by getting real clear about what my life would really look like if I was living in that flow of the Holy Spirit. But living deeply, deeply connected to Jesus. Waking up in the morning and running off a source of power that's so much greater than my source of power and so much greater than my ideas and so much better and bigger than my plans. It's about living with enough joy to where sin really isn't as tempting to me as it used to be. It's not as interesting to me as it used to be. It's about living a life where I'm not always feeling guilty. I'm not always feeling inadequate. Because it's not just me anymore. Now it's me and God. And I'm living in the flowing stream of grace. So I don't have to pretend anymore. And I don't have to be afraid anymore. I don't have to make you think that I'm somebody that I'm really not. I can be transparent and... I can be vulnerable, which means I can love and I can forgive and I can encourage and I can listen and I can warn. I can just be more like Jesus. Imagine what your life would be like if you were truly convinced that God really was at work in every moment of every day. That God really was at work in your life, every situation. Every conversation, at work, at school, at home. What if it, the truth that your job isn't really to worry about measuring up anymore, but rather trying to figure out how from one moment to the next to stay connected, to stay in that stream of living water, to stay connected to that flow. How do I keep myself tuned in to God? How do I keep myself in that flow of living water? Let's look at it one last time. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within. By this he meant the Spirit. You and I were meant for more. 
And I know that we were meant for more because I know that the Holy Spirit's alive and well. And I know that one of the, the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to make me more. Is to work transforming power through me. And I know that there are streams of living water flowing all around me. And yeah, flowing from within me. And my job is to get closer and closer and closer to Jesus. And allow those streams to flow through us and through me. And next week we're going to talk a little bit more about this and we're going to look at some practical ways to, to kind of maybe pursue that. And I hope you're here next week. But for this morning, I just want to remind you, you were meant for more. Wherever you are in your spiritual walk, you were meant for more. Because God has plans for your life. He knows the plans He has for you. And they're good plans. As a church family this morning, if we can help you in any way, there's going to be some people at the front of the auditorium. You can meet us there. Let's stand and sing.